Blog Talk Radio.
near the center of the world by two. That's right. Africa is the center of the world by two. We'll be discussing this theme, and like always, we encourage you to join us for dial in at 323-679-0841. When we think about this particular day, June the 13th, it has a certain historical significance to some of our freedom fighters who have made that transition. But at this particular day on the 15th, born on this particular day on the 15th, 1929, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was an African freedom fighter, and uh, the whole world has celebrated his birthday for many years. And we would like to just give a shout-out and our recognition to his contribution to our people, ongoing progress toward our true liberation and unification. Also, we would like to acknowledge Gabriel Adul Nasser, the first president of Egypt, born in 1918 on this particular day. He, too, was a great brother who fought for the dignity and integrity of African, of African people in Africa and all of humanity. We would like to be mindful of his transition and his contribution to our people ongoing progress towards their total liberation and unification. This is Africa on the Move. Again, we will be discussing today, Africa is the center of the world, part two. And like always, we would like to start our party by introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program follow about what's going on in your world and the community. And last but not least, we will discuss certain aspects as it relates to our theme today. And again, come and join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're going to stand in the seat and we're going to take the heat because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. So right now, I'm going to bring in and we're going to kick the ballistics by bringing Brother High Keith from the African Awareness Association and welcome him today to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother High Keith. Hey, Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mushoki. Currently with African Awareness and Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about building those institutions in the community. Uh, but prior to the discussion around institution building, I think it's one, I think, very important question that we begin to address. Just to, just to ensure that you know we're we're on the same page. One of the things you know, this is a whole question around inequality. I think is very very key that we address that question, because one of the things we talk about inequality, we essentially what we're talking about is a choice. Often people have the belief that equality is something that uh, you know can be easily um, easily remedied. But the problem is with equality is that equality is essentially baked into the system. The system can't exist without inequality. And so we expect politicians, for example, to remedy or even address the question of inequality that we're sadly mistaken. Because the bottom line is that those politicians understand, you know, in terms of, you know, their longevity, you know, you know, in the halls of power. If they were to raise the question of inequality and give a, a real analysis in terms of inequality, then they won't be that long. And, of course, we understand a lot of the huge sums of uh, money they, have, they receive in terms of being representatives, you know, of their you know, prospective states. And so in that context, when it's not realistic to think that this question in terms of inequality is going to be uh, seriously addressed. 
But having said that, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out because I think this question turns to equality. I think it's key that we understand in terms of some of the factors behind, you know, why equality is so pervasive, why it exists in the first place. <clears throat> now, let's check this out, Brother Africa. Now, often inequality is discussed, but rarely is it acknowledged. Inequality is a choice of political policy and interest to the capitalist class. This conscious choice is the difference between relegating entire populations to poverty or an acting policy, specifically tax policy, to mitigate the ravages of capitalism. Now, the impacts of inequality are well established. Accumulation of social and health problems contributes to a misery index that has witnessed unprecedented inflation, soaring jobless claims, and savings in decline. The level of unnecessary hardship placed upon the poor in the U.S. firmly places the U.S. with the highest level of inequality of G7 nations. Those inequalities result in no small part economic policy that makes credit available for the wealthy, while at the same time suppressing wages, 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 wages of workers, making it possible for the wealthy to steal productivity gains of workers, producing more at lower wages. The impact of inequality goes deeper. Demand or the ability to consume is greatly hampered by inequality when the population lacks disposable income to spend. According to the Economic Policy Institute, inequality has contributed to a decrease of aggregate demand on average of 4% since 2017. This lack of demand contributes to the lack of government revenues and expansion of the economy impossible. Currency flowing through the, through the economic system being a necessary lubricant when, <coughs> when disrupted by capitalism instability must be replaced. Attempts at overtaxing 90% of the population is not sufficient to provide enough currency to, to the economy, economic system to ensure government has sufficient revenues to pay its bills. So alternatives are needed to infuse large amounts of liquidity into the economic system to avert the collapse of capitalism. That responsibility falls on the Federal Reserve to address deficits or crisis of capitalism, which manifests on average every four to seven years. Typically, deficits are addressed by Federal Reserve by use of monetary policy in which the volume of credit which is converted to currency, is increased or decreased according to the needs of the economy. Prior to the housing debacle of 20, 2008, the Federal Reserve was increasing its holdings in Treasury Department's IOUs and mortgage-backed securities with express intent to increase the value of money in circulation. This plan was to purchase $120 billion of Treasuries per month with the express purpose of ensuring the financial markets, or in this case Wall Street, has sufficient funds to run smoothly. Interestingly, the term financial markets does not mean concerns about the real economy, i.e. access to jobs, shelter, or health care. Its stated concern is providing money for the wealthy, period. Efficiency of capitalism does not concern itself with an economic system that addresses unemployment, homelessness, and health care. These ill effects are considered standard operation for capitalism, and the designation of money bestows this reality. Inequality is not only natural, but sanctioned by the wealthy and its financial institutions. Now, by the, end of the sub, by the end of the subprime debacle, the crisis of capitalism, instability, and the devastating impact on the populace barely registered a, a blip. It was only when capital, capital markets, i.e. sales or purchase of stocks and bonds, suffered did government take notice of financial instability sweeping the country. In order to address this crisis of capitalism, the Federal Reserve purchased the debt of indebted corporations, zombie corporations, whose stocks were rated junk, 
and in addition to financial institutions. Federal Reserve balance sheets exploded from $4 billion in 2008 to reaching over $9 trillion by year 2022. Federal Reserve liabilities reaching a similar plateau revealed an interesting revelation when overnight loans made to Federal Reserve by banks were not honored by the Federal Reserve. Starting in 2009, Federal Reserve reversal repurchase agreements with banks saw a loss of $2.5 billion of revenues that the banks were denied by November 2022. The interesting aspect is, is since banks are tasked with spurring economic development along with serving capitalist interests, lack of funds to banks increases the borrow, <coughs> decrease the cost of borrowing, thereby slowing economic growth. Now to have the access to government loans increases asset prices like homes, automobiles, which is problematic for working people, but it's indeed an economic boom for the 10% of the population who acquire most of the assets in the society. The fact Federal Reserve policies increases inequality is a pretty sound indication of who benefits from capitalism. Now, as much as we like to believe that inequality in U.S. society is happenstance, the reality is inequality is by design. In assessing the tools of the Federal Reserve, particularly of qualitative easing and qualitative tightening, both tools are in interest to the wealthy, not ending, not ending or, or getting rid of inequality. Qualitative easing expands the level of money in circulation, but access to that money is restricted. Individuals with large asset holdings have access to those funds by way of stock and bond acquisitions. The value of these financial instruments are structured to increase with value. And no small, and no small part, result of economic intervention by the Federal Reserve. By pumping money into the economy, economic system, availability of funds increases the value of those capital assets. Currently, as a result of Federal Reserve intervention, the value of stocks alone increased $22.4 trillion. Ask yourself, if expansion of the economy is dependent upon money flowing through the system, why make about 3,000 people insanely wealthy only to hide that money in offshore accounts or investment schemes to avoid taxes. Obviously, money the system needs to create jobs, affordable housing, and health care is hoarded, with the decisive impact being inequality. I ask you, is this problem systematic or not? With regard to qualitative tightening, the level of market disruption or the relationship between the buyer and seller is more unstable than capitalism normally affords. The notion qualitative tightening can be used to bring down inflation it's an interesting theory. The rates of inflation are often used to suggest inflation distorts markets. The re reality is inflation is an invisible tax to assist government in obtaining need needed revenues. Inflation is inevitable because establishing market equilibrium or pricing is impossible because supply and demand are unknown variables, and any imbalance between the two will result in inflated prices or inflation. The politics around evoking inflation is another matter. By invoking inflation, the monetary reduction or contraction of money in the system will drive up interest rates, ex exacerbate Federal Reserve liabilities in terms of more borrowing from the Treasury. Plans of inflation reduction will be compounded by the fact unemployment and homelessness and growing, is growing, and without a solid revenue base, government needs for revenues will be constrained, particularly when the wealthy proportionately pay little in taxes. Keeping in mind a reduction in tax receipts combined with declining economic output in part the result of qualitative tightening, inevitably results in recession. The fact pundits expect a deep recession or a deep, a deep recession or depression in 2023 establishes the political conditions for the far right billionaires with the assistance of far right politicians.
to maximize efforts to achieve a totalitarian-style government to stifle dissent. For capitalists, the fruition of totalitarianism is key to maintaining control. Qualitative qualitative tightening makes that possible. Even though qualitative tightening is used to advance the interests of the wealthy by essentially enhancing access to available monies, allowing them to use their power to use that wealth and versions of control over society to combat, to combat resistance <coughs> or defiance of the masses <coughs> that will manifest in ways capitalism domination will be tested. If the Federal Reserve were truly tasked with maintaining a vibrant economy, it would relinquish control over monetary policy and a benefit to wealth and pursue a, a general policy <coughs> of economic fairness by returning monetary policy or monetary functions back to the Treasury Department that ensures Money is used to expand, not contract the economy, which will be a benefit to all and not just the wealthy. And Brother Africa, I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll make a transition to Sister Eleanor, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the move. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, um to our listening audience here and abroad, to you, Brother Haki, Brother Moses, Brother Africa, and all our analysts, and uh, happy Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. birthday to everyone. Today is a wonderful day and a great day when we commemorate Dr. King and his birth. In 1929 Thank you so much for having me This evening And I look forward to The evening's conversation On Africa being The center of the world And the new Environmental movement Thank you so much Thank you Sister Eleanor Next we would like to welcome Brother Moses To Africa on the Move Welcome Brother Moses Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A-E-S. This, this struggle is, is to gain the resources necessary to carry out the working class agenda. And uh, we, the people united will never be defeated. So we have to marshal our forces and uh, uh, have a correct line, a correct position on ideological and political line. And... Uh, carry out the interests of the working class. This is our struggle, and uh, and I thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Moses. Uh, Brother Haki, in terms of your dissertation just made recently, and we were talking about the issue about the wealth, the wealth that exists within this, within this world, and this question about justice. I was reading an article the other day, and I thought it was really interesting, uh, where I think the author was making the point that if you are talking about bringing about justice, if you are talking about um, correcting 
uh, these different forms of, of, of oppression, then the wealthy will never be on your side. They see you as an enemy to bring about justice and fairness. Uh, your response to that critique, Brother Haki? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when, when you talk about what, is, what are the tenets of capitalism, if the motivation of capitalism pure and simply, if the motivation of capitalism pure and simple is to make money, then therefore everyone in that context becomes an adversary. In other words, you're competing against other people for money. To the extent you can limit people's opportunity to make that money, the more money you can, you can bring to yourself. And so, therefore, in that context, clearly people are perceived as enemies. And so when you start talking about the fundamental question of, of justice and fairness, for people who are wealthy, that those, kind of, those kinds of ideas are, 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 are all, in, all, in, all in fine. But just in terms of how the system is fundamentally geared to work, if, in fact, if you had justice and fairness in society, then what that means would be a fundamental reduction of, of monies into your pocket. And so, therefore, you fight or you resist all the kind of any kind of change as it pertains to uh, justice and fairness. So, I think the question is absolutely correct. I think the reality is that when you when you when you talk about trying to implement change in society, you have to understand just in terms of that, that class dynamic. One thing you have to understand: people who are well off, who 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 control everything. I talked about 300 people have the more wealth than than 90 percent of the, of the world's population. I mean, anytime you have that kind of scenario, then the bottom line is that they have that's, they have an immense amount of power, and so therefore, they, what they do, they seek to protect that power, and that, and part of that protect that power is to make sure the conditions prevail, to make sure there is no justice in in in, in, in equality, equality in the society. So people have to fundamentally understand that, and so the whole problem is that I think mean, for a lot of people, is that how do you square that reality in terms of what you hear on television? Because often you know television. You know how great it is. You know if you just vote in order to just get these people in office, it's all going to be okay. But what it does is simply belies the reality that when you start talking about terms of systems of power, that when people buy into these systems of power and they get into these offices in, in in Congress, keep in mind they're compensated grandly and they're compensated greatly because in part it's the it's the it's a subtle way of buying them. So they're not going to jeopardize their standing in terms of making money. By dealing with issues that are that are truly uh, address the issue in terms of inequality and poverty or suffering in the society, they're not going to do that. They might give superficial analysis in terms of inequality that exists in society. They're not going to give you a systemic understanding in terms of why inequality and, 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 and injustice exists in society. They're not going to do that. So in that context, I think the the, the offer was absolutely correct. I think it, it boils down to when you when you start talking about this fight for. This, you know, this fight for equality, this fight for fairness, fight, fight for justice. You got to understand that there are people in powerful positions are uh, adamantly opposed to you acquiring justice and power and, 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 and righteousness in the society. And if once we understand that, then we understand it's coming from us. You create the necessary conditions we need in terms of being able to survive despite a system that in place which is diametrically opposed to the interests of humanity. So I think the, the I think, so I think the offer was was absolutely correct. I think that clearly. We started talking about, you know, you know, the adversary relation between those people who are very wealthy and the masses of people. That relationship really does exist, and we should not deceive ourselves into believing that, in fact, that somebody like Bezos or someone like Elon Musk, or any of those people, to, to think as one second they give a damn about the struggling of the masses of people, not only in the United States but throughout the world, because they don't. And so, in that context, is absolutely correct. It is a war. 
Thank you, Brother Haki. At this point in time, you're listening to you're listening to Africa on the move. I'm Brother Africa. As we stated, we're going to be in the seat and we're going to take the heat. We're going to find it. We're going to stand behind it. Earlier at the beginning of the program, we acknowledge two revolutionary brothers who came forward to make their contribution to our people dealing liberation and unification. Brother Dr. Molly King Jr. and Brother Gabriel Adul Nasser. They both were born on this day. At this point in time, we're going to pause for the calls and give them a recognition of saying happy birthday. Happy birthday. And when we return, we will discuss what's going on in your world and the community. You can join us by sharing with us what's going on in your world and the community by dialing in at 323-790841. This is Africa on the Move under the banner of the African Awareness Association. Okay, so let's pause for this call and we can wish Dr. King and Brother Nasser a happy birthday. We'll be right back.
That's right. We would like to say happy birthday to our brother King and our brother Nasser. Happy birthday. Panthers, the question that someone will raise, why hasn't there been a international world celebration for peace, a world celebration recognizing peace? Ponder that question for a second. If you think that peace is something noble for all human beings, why there has not been a world celebration for peace? Brother Haki. <clears throat> well, Brother Africa, I, I think uh, peace is diametrically opposed um, to wealth accumulation. I, I, I think one of the things we started, about, started talking about peace, the possibility that people may put aside their petty differences and begin to understand that in terms of living a life worth living, it has to entail some level of peace on a spiritual level, uh, on, a, on, a, on a human level, uh, even on a, a material level. So I think that one of the biggest threats to those positions of power is that you don't want people thinking in terms of peace. You want to keep people at each other's throats. In fact, one of the things when we talk about class stratification, you know, in the community, one of the things is, is predicated on it's this notion that if you can keep middle-income people, what used to be middle-income people, against poor people or keep wealthy people at, at, at odds with middle-class people, then you create a situation where you have this, all this division, which is perfect uh, scenario for people who position the power to control and to run things. And so, therefore, people who position the power see it in their interest in terms of these, these subtle divisions. Peace seeks to cut across these divisions and say, listen, with, irrespective of your skin color, irrespective of your sexual proclivities, irrespective of your gender, the bottom line is that we're human beings and we're going to treat each other as human beings and we're going to create conditions which are worthy of the fact that we see each other as human beings, no more, no less. Well, that kind of message is fundamentally at odds in terms of, you know, you know uh, wealthy people pursuit of power. Power doesn't recognize peace. As a matter of fact, more peace you have, the more peace you have, the less power you can assume. Uh, power is assumed uh, by fact by absence of peace, and so therefore you want chaotic situations, you want war, you want poverty, you want division, you want divisiveness, you want all of those kind of things which tend to pit people against one another. So when you talk about peace, uh, you shouldn't be surprised that there's no real discussion, real push for peace. Uh, what you do here is a push for war, uh, a push for uh, uh, divisions based upon ideology a push for divisions based upon skin color. You you hear those kind of things. But you're not going to hear the uh, word harmoniously talk about the importance in terms of peace and constantly pushing for peace. That simply isn't going to happen. I think part and parcel, you know, I think that, um, you know, peace is something that has to be achieved over time. And we're talking about struggle being protracted. Well, the pursuit of peace is also protracted. Uh, as people have to evolve a certain level to understand in terms of usefulness or the um, – or the utility in terms of peace. Uh, right now, we're too distracted, and we pretty much uh, go along with the, these kind of narratives that we're that we're, we're told that you know that we're nobody unless we have large sums of wealth. You know, we're nobody unless we have access to material things. And so, to the extent that we buy into those kind of philosophies, and the more we're willing to accept a uh, lack of peace, uh, a, a great deal of discord, a lot of uh, anger and hostility and division, we're more likely to accept those kind of things. If we think that, our, you know, in the midst of all of that, we can get some things or we can get some material possessions. 
so clearly, Brother Africa, I think to, to a large extent, uh, peace is predicated on people's evolution. I think as people evolve and you go through more and more pain, at some point people get the realization that, listen, it's all this inflicting of pain, all this, these unjust systems, all this unfairness, all this uh, in, insensitivity, you know, has to end, that we have to bring out a new paradigm. But I think it's going to take a long process for human beings to get, most human beings to get that point to understand the relevance in terms of why peace is such an important commodity. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, why there's no world celebration for peace? Peace is a good thing for all human beings, do you think? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Peace is a a good thing. But um, there is uh, uh, peace and equity is a good thing. Peace and justice is a good thing. And you see where there is no peace, such as in with the apartheid in, in Israel, there is no peace. Um, you see uh, other places around the world where there is no peace uh, because of lack of equity, because of poverty, because of global warming. Uh, but yes, of course, people want to live in peace. They want to see the planet saved. They want to see their children grow and have education, health care, access to uh, transportation, and 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 uh, uh, a peaceful life. But uh, peace is is uh, relative, you know. Um, if there's calm, is that peace? I think there's a little more to peace than just having calm. Because in many military states, it may appear to be a peaceful place, but it's just the fear of the people, that uh, uh, the fear of the military, the fear of the police. Um, you know, they they have allegedly peace in the United States, but yet. We see African Americans being shot down by the police virtually every day. Um, we see a 13 year old boy shot about a week ago in what was considered a middle class neighborhood in Brooklyn, Washington, D.C., uh, allegedly breaking in cars in the community where he lived and he knew everyone except for, I guess, the man that shot him or the person that shot him dead. And the mayor has yet to release the video cam uh, to the people, and they're peacefully protesting right now as we speak in northeast Washington, D.C. So peace is relative, but, yes, people want to live in peace with justice. Inequality. Thank you, Sister Elnor. Brother Moses, come and talk to me. Talk to me, Brother Moses. You're the man with the master plan. What we got to do to get a world celebration for peace? That seems like a real simple thing to do. Your response, Brother Moses. I mean, I think peace is, is desired by the masses of people that naturally spontaneously gravitate towards socialism. And, um, uh, 
But the problem is the bourgeoisie is the capitalists, and they use wars to expand their spheres of influence and to gain new resources. And they're constantly on the move to gain new resources, and uh, the profit drive is 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 uh, insatiable. And so we we see peace is the continuation of war by other means uh for the bourgeoisie and uh this this that's why in Israel and all around the world wherever um Ukraine wherever the there's there is no peace uh and where there is peace there is a continuation of the of the policies of war with Cuba with Venezuela um um the Nicaragua the peace there is no peace there there is a, a, a uh, facade of peace, but it's unprincipled peace. Uh, uh, there is no equal rights and justice, which which is required for true peace. And so, you know, we have to recognize that uh, that you know we're struggling for peace, but we want principled peace. We want equal rights and justice. And uh, uh, how is philosophy said until the philosophy that was told one race superior and another inferior is discredited and abandoned, you know, there won't be any peace. And uh, so we have to recognize that uh, that we have to choose our battles, choose when we, when, when we uh, 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 take on revolution and, uh, and when we continue to organize for that day. And so peace, Peace is just uh, a continuation of the policies of war by other means. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, panelists, um, before we go into that transition to what's going on in your world and community, and we are talking about and we're acknowledging Dr. King and Dr. Nassau's birthday today. And the theme today is Africa is the center of the world. When you look at these two great men, what would you say in terms of when you look at their legacy? How did they view Africa as it relates to their, their 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 overall work, and how would they view what's going on today in Africa? What would you, what would you think they would say, and what would be that message to the world as it comes to looking at Africa and its importance to the world? Brother Haki, what you think they would? What would they tell us? Yeah, well, I I I I think their their stand would be pretty consistent with what it was, you know, historically. I think in that regard, I think when you talk about the fundamental question in terms of unfairness or injustice, uh, inequality, uh, no continent on the planet has been ravaged like Africa. Not only just historically, but also in the temporary times. And so when we talk about in terms of the uplift of of humanity. Well, you know, we have to keep in mind that this uplift of humanity is, it can't come without a fight. And so one of the things I think they would have to be able to point out is that given this, this, this kind of uh, pervasive inequality, the basic inhumanity that's confronting Africa and its people, I think they would say that, you know, you know what, we have no other recourse but to fight. I think uh, in terms of fight, I think it's pretty much open-ended. I don't think they would prescribe a particular methodology in terms of fighting back, but I think they would say it's imperative that you fight back because the bottom line is that when you start talking about uh, systems of power, when you talk about Western states, you know, working con- in, in conjunction 
to ensure the impoverishment or or or, or, or the uh, the degradation of an entire continent. When you think about when you think about that, then clearly in terms of the, the strategy that you that you employ in terms of obtaining your liberation, have to be vast and many. There is no single there is no single methodology that's going to get you to where you need to be in terms of the, just the general onslaught in terms of Western states. A willingness, you know, to 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 uh, to uh, not only military intervene, but also just in terms of systems to create conditions to ensure that the impoverishment or the the the, the humanization or the degradation of Africa continues. So I think they would em- employ people, you know, on the continent, you know, that you must fight back. I think they will also have a very uh, a very um, severe uh, analysis in terms of the leadership on the continent. I think the leadership is getting better. I think increasingly more and more uh, African leaders are coming to the realization, you know, there's, there's something fundamentally missed. And I think this kind of uh, embrace of the U.S., you know, without regard to the history of the U.S. in terms of its colonial policies, I think increasingly more and more African leaders are coming to the realization that, that that issue has to be addressed. And I think as a consequence, increasingly, I think more and more these African leaders are moving away from America because they understand America means them no good. So I think I think Keene and Nasser would sort of embrace that notion in terms that it's important that we move away from those people who tend to do us harm. So I think in that regard, I I, I think it's historically the position they've always maintained in terms of you know their fight against injustice. So I think their position will all be consistent in terms of that fight has to has to persist. Sister Eleanor, your response, what you think King and Brother Nelson will say to the world today as it relates to their philosophy and their work, taking a critique of the reality of Africa today. What would you think they would tell us, would say to us, if they were here? I'm sorry, you said that uh, Bob Molly and Holly, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm talking about, uh, we're talking about Brother Martin Luther King Jr., and Gabriel Adur Nasser, the first president of Egypt, is born in 1918. Looking at these two men's philosophy and their legacy, what message would they say to us today if they were living as relates to the current reality of the state of Africa? Well, the current reality of the state of Africa and the state of world of the world would be shocking to them. To have seen what the world has experienced in the last 20 years, uh, I don't think they could ever have imagined such uh, violence uh, and manipulation and social injustice, whether it's by the uh, expansion of the, uh, what what we would call the, uh, society with, that is being observed and monitored at all times uh, globally, not just in China, but in the U.S., in the United Kingdom. You know, they would never imagine that every day uh, the average American uh, or person living in the U.S., United States of America, would be observed six times on camera or 220 times in in the United Kingdom, uh, or that uh, there would be uh, apartheid in Israel and that the uh, 
two-nation, quote, uh, uh, plan had not been achieved and the, and the murders that go on in Israel virtually every day since Netanyahu has been reelected. I don't think they would have um, ever imagined these kind of atrocities. And uh, uh, one of the things that was written about in Article 48 that the FBI did not want to see again is another Dr. King because of his ability to organize national demonstrations and a national movement. As long as the movement is, is marginalized and uh, localized by municipality, uh, that's manageable by the by the state. But to see uh, a national movement such as Dr. King had, or 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 a national plan for uh, educating and feeding children, such as the Black Panthers had, I don't think. Uh, uh, that's wanted by the state, but more importantly, to answer your question, no, neither NASA, you know, the builder of the Great Suez Canal, nor Dr. King uh, would would have imagined the world today as it is. Thank you, Susan. So Brother Moses, your thoughts on the subject, Brother Moses. You know, I think um, the world has changed a lot since since NASA and Dr. King were around. Uh, um, certainly, you know, certainly South Africa has fallen. Uh, the Israel was was Israel when they were around, so they were aware of Israel. Um, uh, the many there have been uh, decolonialization. Movements within Africa. A lot of Africa now is is uh, nominally free, and uh, um, I think you know there's been progress, and they would recognize the progress. Uh, however, there's still work to be done, and and they would be about doing that work. Uh, the glass is is never half full. It's it's uh, still work to be done. Uh, I think they would recognize that, and. Uh, be about it. Thank you. Yeah, just heard Brother Moses, Sister Eldon, Brother Hakeek, giving their perspective on looking at the work of Dr. King and Brother Nelson. What they may would say to you today if they were living as relates to the fails of what's going on in the reality in Africa, African people. This is Africa on the Move. I'm your host, Brother Africa. What we're going to do, we're going to take a quick rubbish to the break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. But as a preliminary um, discussion on what's going on in your world and community, there is a very important announcement I'd like to make right now. And I want you to put this on your calendar. This is a very special event coming up on the 17th of this month. This Tuesday coming up. The Pan-African Roots and the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC, invite you to join us at and help build God Makes No Slaves in the Womb Tour. 
the trafficking, trade, and enslavement of human beings was and is illegal, a crime against humanity. We demand the disclosure and the digitization of all slavery era weapons. This will be a special program that will be occurring this Tuesday from 7 to 10 p.m. Please put down your calendar, spread the word. We will be joining in and listening to Brother Bob Brown, P.A. Roots, as he talk about this important issue of digitizing and disclosing all slavery era records. It will be live here on Africa on the Moon. You also can go to the website, the All African Peoples Rupture Party, CC, and tune in by going to www.a-aprp.gc.org. Check out Spread the Word. This will be a very powerful special program. So join us this Tuesday night from 7 to 10 p.m. on Africa on the Moon and go and check out the AAPRP GC website and tune in. And let's hear this important information that Brother Bob Brown and Pan-African Roots will share with our people that will give us a better insight, not on the question of slavery, but the question of who did it, how they did it, how weapons accumulated, and how you can properly fight the fight to help move our people closer to their true victory of total liberation and unification. So that will be this Tuesday, January 17th, Please tune in 7 p.m. So at this point in time, we're going to pause for the calls. And like always, we too want Africa to be free.
down on you with all you got to know oh, oh. Mama Africa is not free Oh free, oh free Mama Africa want to be free transition to what's going on in your world community. And again, we just remind those who may not heard the first announcement concerning the special program coming up Tuesday night here on Africa on the Move from 7 to 10 p.m. The Pan-African Roots and the All-African Peoples Rubber Street Party GC invite you to join us at and help build God Makes No Slaves in the Womb Tour. The trafficking, trading, and enslavement of human beings was and is illegal, a crime against humanity. We demand the disclosure, digitization of all slavery era records. There will be a special program with Brother Bob Brown and Pan-African Roots as they discuss this critical issue of slave slavery, enslavement, and this whole question of accumulation welfare. Who are we going to fight if we don't do the research and know who will get the crime? So it's very important to tune in from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. And you also can go to their website, the AAPRPGC website, and tune into the program by going to their website, which is www.a-aprp.gc.dev. So put down your calendar this Tuesday, the 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Join us. On this whole question and this question of God makes no slaves in the womb tour. Again, at this point in time, let's go to our transition of what's going on in our world community. We're going to bring our political panelists and analysts back. And like always, we welcome you to call in if you'd like to share what's going on in your world in the community. Brother Haki, we're coming right back to you. What's going on in your world in the community, Brother Haki? Well, Brother Africa, I, I want to get uh, talk a little talk a little bit uh, uh, metaphorically in terms of you know an incident that occurred, which got me thinking about in terms of um, you know um, the metaphorical relationship between you know what we call life and 
reality in terms of how we treat it in this life. So in any event, I think I was very, very interested. Anyway, check this out, Brother Africa. Now, recently, a man urinated on a female passenger on a flight resulting in his incarceration only after public indignation had grew louder. Urinating on another human being is a despicable act which invokes revulsion among most people, an action most humans would never partake. Unless your Trump-like predilection of engaging in golden showers in Russia, this act could never be looked upon as comforting, despite the liquid warmth cascading over one's face. Metaphorically speaking, the degradation and dehumanization implied in urinating on someone implies a perceived power relationship, one based on one having perceived power and the other perceived as having no power. In other words, power is to prevent an indignity committed on one's person. In this context, metaphorically, Getting urinated on does not solely entail the evacuation of urine stream on a compliant person, but may well connote power relationships among humans where powerful people, typically wealthy, advocate and demonstrate a deep disregard for the needs and rights of human beings perceived as superfluous or and or poor people. Now, this tendency among capitalism is both pervasive and profound. Social conditions are specifically erected to debilitate and cripple emotionally and psychologically ensuring the poor cannot fight back. This process is achieved by control of information, reinforcing how and what people should think and or feel. Blatant propaganda utilized by government is well understood, but what is not well understood is the systems in place that undergirds the effectiveness of propaganda. One such system under the Government Accounting Office funds over 4,000 projects for state specifically for public service announcements. Under the Consolidated Appropriations Act, the government allocated over $8.4 trillion to convey public service messages, information, not necessarily objectively truthful. This program also utilized grants to states, providing the information states convey is patriotic in content, uh, not to reveal any systematic flaws that might complicate propagandist messaging. Putting these expenditures in perspective, the U.S. only allocated $1.2 trillion for all of Social Security in the year 2022, leaving no doubt the need for a pliable or ill-informed population serve the interests of capitalism. Now, bending the will of large numbers of the population involves a myriad of strategies to condition the masses to become accustomed or acclimated to the idea of being unit on is somehow comforting. Legal precedent is often the lead strategy in convincing the masses the only solution is to concede defeat. In other words, Dehumanization is an indispensable fact of, the poor, of a poor person's existence, and acceptance of this reality will make pain inflicted by the capitalism e- easier to accept. Inequality, now inequality in capitalist society is inevitable, and with that, the, the numbers adversely impacted by the unjust allocation of resources must be dealt with severely to discourage acts of dissent among the populace. Law is uniquely suited to discourage dissent, and at the same time, reinforce the idea the stream of odious liquid striking one's, one's face will not abate or stop. Only recourse for the masses is subservience. In the case of Shine versus Martinez versus Ramirez, the Supreme Court ruled exculpatory evidence proving your innocence can no longer be used to challenge your incarceration. Judge Thomas of the Supreme Court insinuated habeas corpus is dead, that despite an ineffective lawyer, once the state trial concludes, all legal avenues to prove innocence are also gone forever. Implicit in the Supreme Court's ruling is the repudiation of justice. Now, to be sure, the history of U.S. jurisprudence 
has always supported a two-tiered justice, justice system, one for the wealthy and one for the poor. Now the Supreme Court has doubled down on its philosophy, further indicating under the system of law, rights for poor people are proscribed, setting the stage for increased exploitation and humiliation by forces that find poor people contemptible. Now under this rubric, it is easy to justify slavery in prison and human social conditions in prison or mass deprivation, including lack of medical care. Indicative of history, does the, excuse, these injustices permeate outwardly consuming increasing numbers of the population. Injustices affiliated with the prison industrial complex have now proliferated in society where declining wages, unemployment, homelessness, and absence of quality medical care have proliferated with no resolution in sight. In fact, concerns for working people were so tri- trivial, their concerns were systematically erased in interest to the wealthy. In 2008, Credits normally afforded by the wealthy by the Federal Reserve increased in part because the subprime debacle resulted in the stock market on Wall Street closing, culminating in increased increased interest rates in an attempt to bring wealth from hemorrhaging. With the decline in the economy come a decrease in the value of public assets. Assets like property, homes, automobiles were purchased dirt cheap, and capitalists took advantage of the weakened government state to purchase these assets very cheaply with the understanding that debt bubbles would someday become a fact of life, relegating millions of people to a life of poverty, including people formerly considered middle class. Now, this political instability that was created <coughs> requires subservience and must be adhered to, because a fully hydrated government buzzing at the scene could, could so much easier hit a compliant population too distracted to notice systematic abuse afflicted or the origin of that abuse. Now, it appears that the political winds have shifted since 2008 in a stream of indifference projected toward the, the least fortunate in society have now been blown off course, impacting unsuspecting numbers of the population who are getting drenched. With many cognizant of the fact, the liquid liquid or the liquid injustice striking their faces is not rain. Now, <coughs> now these same group, there's a realization among them that shelter is warranted. <coughs> many have concluded putting an end to the simulation is necessary or necessitates taking a stand even in the midst of increasing precipitation. Now, historically, what the wealthy really felt about working people have long embedded in economic doctrine that saw workers' usefulness contingent on how much wealth they could extract from workers. Industrial capitalism that viewed workers' health and well-being important to their bottom line gave way to finance capitalism that saw well-being of workers as an impediment to their bottom line. Utilizing that newfound wealth to control banks and real estate, finance capitalism was able to capture government in part using politicians to corrupt the political process and in the process achieve laws favorable to the corporate state. First order business for the capitalists was to cut taxes for the rich, deregulate government enterprises like banks and financial institutions, eliminate environmental or consumer protections, reduce social welfare programs, and institute neoliberal policies globally. The end result was transfer of wealth from the working people to the wealthy. The level of poverty created did not evade the minds of many capitalists, and as a consequence, uh, strategies by elites had to be had to be erected to reinforce centers of power and who really rules. Hydrated with more repressive laws, states like Missouri, California, and New York passed laws on varying de- varying degrees criminalizing homelessness. In Missouri, if caught sleeping in the public public park or under a bridge, the homeless could be fined $750 or 
or 15 days in prison. Obviously, finding someone who lacks <coughs> who, who lacks funds to rent a room for the night likely will not have $750 for a fine. This means in all likelihood the homeless person would end up in prison. Perhaps this is part of the strategy. Given per capita growth of GDP or the average level of wealth per person, reports state the G7 nations, the wealthiest states in the West, will only see projected per capita GDP growth of 1.5% for the, for the least next five years. That number has been updated to just 5 tenths 1% over the next five years. Given underfinanced capitalism, the state is too weak to change economic policies that undermine the economy, those factors I previously alluded to. The decline of the economy means increasing numbers of people will find themselves homeless through no fault of their own. Resorting economic instability compels government officials to convey and propose to one and all draconian laws will be implemented in an attempt to maintain political stability. A more succinct way to put it is, if government has the pee on the poor to get the message across who's in charge, rest assured you, the people, will be immersed, immersed, immersed. We're promises more to come if any sign of resistance manifests. I suggest that we all buy the umbrella, and I suggest we, I suggest we buy the umbrella very, very soon. Brother Africa, I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. And we'll move to Sister Eleanor. What's going on in your world and community, Sister Eleanor? <clears throat> well, uh, earlier um, last week, um, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, there was a uh, demonstration at uh, the White House concerning the closing of Guantanamo Bay. And it was interesting in that it took on uh, uh, the genre of performance art in that the many of the demonstrators wore the orange jumpsuits and black hoods. So it was educational, and it was education through the arts, uh, utilizing the uniforms uh, and the uh, uh, to demonstrate the oppression of. Guantanamo Bay, which as uh, many people know and our listeners should know, is uh, occupied in a a sovereign country, Cuba, uh, but is operated by the United States, and uh, it is our offshore prison complex where we have for uh, the 21st century uh, sent our Iraqi and Afghani prisoners and um, because uh, the habits and the practices in Guantanamo are illegal on the continental United States. Now, this should shock the world simply because here in the United States, we have the largest prison uh, prison population in the world. So I've been thinking about that. Also thinking about uh, the upcoming uh, renewal of the uh, African Growth and Opportunity uh, Act which uh, we talked about previously on the show in that it allowed for the import of 
African goods minus uh, without tariffs. And uh, when you first, when I first thought about this act, I thought about you know things like scarves and bags and things like that. But I know now with global warming and the U.S. interest in in cobalt and other minerals and natural resources, that this could be another big business opportunity for U.S. mega businesses, you know, such as Exxon and even opening the way for uh, British Motors, BP. So uh, that that I find uh, something that... Uh, um, after the African Union needs to organize and set up uh, its agenda right now on what will be acceptable and not under the current act and when the act is renewed in uh, 2025. I, I don't doubt that it will be renewed when it expires in 2025, the African Growth and Opportunity Act which I thought was a wonderful opportunity at one point for African people. But I see it as uh, something that really has to be examined by the entire African Union as a collective, all 54 nations, and uh, how these imports and exports will be managed, the exports in particular. Because I see it, uh, I, I, um, I don't know if there are restrictions on the exports, such as uh, the natural resources, and we would hope there, there, there would be uh, tariffs by the African nations on these exports, or if there aren't tariffs, that at least they receive market rates rather than um, selling uh, these mineral resources as uh, just commodities to sell them at market rate. Also, we see that Finland allegedly, uh, they struck the mother load. They found these huge deposits of, uh, uh, of minerals that were normally imported to Europe that would help... Uh, uh, stop global warming. That's a good thing for for uh, for us all. Uh, I haven't heard that much about it, other than that it it was something that happened. And uh, also, as Brother Moses said uh, um, uh, yesterday, Ark had a breakfast in memory of Dr. King, and they talked about uh, the world advancements, uh, such as the elimination of apartheid and, uh, you know, the uh, great things that have happened. But it was also uh, people couldn't help but bring up the repressive laws that are being passed by both the Supreme Court as well as um, the individual states throughout the republic. 
and uh, that included uh, a woman's right to choice as well as voter restrictions and other restrictions. And uh, that is about it. Um, We continue to move forward. We see that uh, uh, arts, uh, the... uh, Um, the Smithsonian is preparing to return um, pieces in the collection of the Museum uh, of African Arts. The Smithsonian's Shackler Museums will be returned, and and that's a good thing. And uh, we hope that that's done in a constructive way to protect uh, these artifacts for for the states where they come from as well as the world that there are curators and the resources to uh, conserve these precious items such as the Benin sculptures Mr. Eleanor, can you wrap it up in Sydney please? Yeah, that's it um, that's call it a wrap that's the wrap on Sister Eleanor. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. As Eleanor said, Wednesday there was a protest at the White House of, of uh, closed Guantanamo now, uh, just sponsored by Witness Against Torture and National Religious Camp- Campaign Against Torture. Uh, it was very... Uh, good demonstration. Um, yesterday, Saturday, there was an answer coalition demonstration in San Francisco and New, and New York. Um, uh, it was it was broadcast over the internet live, and uh, uh, it was a very good march and a good demonstration. Uh, the People's Forum was where the the the, the little uh, Forum about uh, the situation was was uh, was presented, and uh, I think Eugene Pierre and um, Brian Becker were there, were the, were there uh, speaking on in behalf of Answer and the Party for Socialism and Liberation. Um, I think Gloria Lariva was in the uh, the. Uh, the chat box. Uh, anyway, it was it was it was a good good analysis and a good good uh, rally against Ukraine, Ukraine, uh, NATO in particular. You get NATO out of uh, this war, uh, the disband NATO, uh, and to, tomorrow will be Martin Luther King Day uh, celebration. Uh, and, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And for my little brief announcements of what's going on in my world and community, is that Africa on the move, Brother Africa, and some of its supporters are happy to support and I'll be going with African Awareness Association on its annual freedom ride tour to Cuba from January 23rd to 30th. 
So we're less than a little, little, little less than a week away uh, to our friends, supporting and listening audience. We're going to be making that feeder ride to Cuba. When we come back with the reporting, we are happy and honored to be able to go with the African Awareness Association. While we're going, going, while we're gone, and when we turn back on the 30th, if you want to keep your ears and eyes open, just in case if there are any kind of okadoke going down, we can correct it with your support and your help. Also, we just we are happy and looking forward to being a participant this Tuesday night from 7 to 10 p.m. as we will put on and host the program by the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and Pan-African Roots, God Makes No Slaves in the Womb. Please put that there on your calendar. You can join us by calling in at 323-679-0841. You can go online, go to blogtalkradio.com slash africa-on-the-move, or you can go to the AAPRP GC website and tune into the program by going to www.aaa.aaprp.gc.org. Hey, check out this particular program. It has information that's going to rock the world. It's going to give us more clarity on not only what happened in the past, but, but also understanding that how wealth has been trans, trans, transferred from one particular generation to the present generation, and who are the beneficiaries of the oppression of Africa and African people. So check the program out this Tuesday night at 7 p.m. here on Africa on the Move or visit the AAPIP GC website. So that's what's going on in our world. And as a reminder to our listening audience, if you would like to be a part and be a participant of this particular segment, it's not hard to do. You just log in to Africa on the Moon and dial 323-679-0841. And when the segment comes up, you just share with the world what's going on in your world and the community. It's that easy. So at this point in time, what we're going to do now, and we want to talk about this issue of Disclosure. We got to make a disclosure on Africa on the Moon. We apologize if you are listening to the program, looking at the program, and we said that this theme tonight is Africa is the center of the world, part two, which is correct. But there was a logistical error in terms of putting out the title, so you're not confused. Um, you are seeing what you're seeing, but there was a logistical error. We apologize. We will correct that shortly. But the program tonight, is Africa is the center of the world. It's the nucleus. It makes the world goes round. And to get a better understanding of that, we're going to play this little kitten for you, and when we come back, we're going to have the discussion why Africa is the center of the world and more. You listen to Brother Africa and Africa on the Move. Today we'll talk about Africa, once seen by Europe as the antithesis of civilization the heart of darkness, in the words of a certain Joseph Conrad. Centuries later, Africa remains ignored. It makes news for its conflicts, poverty and exoticism. For the longest time, the world saw it as a lost cause. 
when one country saw opportunity and thus began a new race for Africa, not very different from the scramble of the 19th century when colonial Britain and France wanted raw materials, slaves and geopolitical influence. Now in the 21st century, global powers are in more or less the same race. China, the United States, India, the European Union, Japan, Israel, Canada, all of these countries are in the race for Africa. And one country is emerging as the clear winner. Hello and welcome to Gravitas Plus. I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay and this is Africa, a continent of 54 sovereign states, 17% of the world's population, 9.6% of the global oil output, 90% of the world's platinum supply, 90% of the world's cobalt supply, half of the world's gold supply, two-thirds of the world's manganese, 35% of the world's uranium, 75% of the world's coltan, and 54 votes in the United Nations General Assembly. This is what makes Africa so attractive and makes the continent a battleground for global powers. There are numerous fronts. Investment and infrastructure, military power, diplomacy, soft power, trade, geopolitics, every country has its own interest in Africa. In 2016, Israel began its scramble for the continent. Benjamin Netanyahu became the first Israeli Prime Minister to visit Africa in 50 years. What did he want? Votes. In favor of Israel and against Palestine in the United Nations resolutions. Africa and Israel share similar histories, he said. Israel went on to sponsor solar, water and agricultural technologies. In the same year, 2016, Senegal co-sponsored a UN resolution. It condemned the construction of illegal Jewish settlements in the West Bank. What did Israel do? It cancelled the Mashav drip irrigation project. And this is just one example. Here's another one. The European Union has pledged more than $54 billion in sustainable investment for Africa. What does the EU want? access to the African market of 1.3 billion people. Brussels has negotiated free trade agreements with at least 40 African countries. But does this ensure a balanced two-way trade? It doesn't. And no country has a bigger interest in Africa than China. China is funding one in five infrastructure projects in Africa. It is building every third one. Africa has an infrastructure deficit and China has a signed checkbook. Starting 2005, China has invested at least $2 trillion in Africa. It built 6,200 kilometers of railways, including the continent's longest railway line connecting Ethiopia and Djibouti. Beijing has also built the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. What does China get in return? A lot. Geopolitical influence to start with. Beijing is selling its culture, its currency. In Guinea-Bissau, exit signs are written in Mandarin. China has established at least 50 Confucius Institutes across 33 countries. Several African countries use Chinese currency. China also gets a strategic overseas base. In 2017, China built its first overseas base at the Horn of Africa, Djibouti to be specific. Djibouti connects the Mediterranean Sea to the Indian Ocean via the Suez Canal. The base has the capacity to accommodate 10,000 troops. China also gets a market to dump its goods. China is Africa's largest trading partner. Chinese trade has increased 40-fold in the last two decades. At least 10,000 Chinese firms operate in Africa. This is according to a McKinsey study. Africa has resources and China has access. Did you know that a third of China's investments in Africa are in the mining sector? And finally, it gets to debt trap Africa. But here's the thing. China is not the only country investing in this continent. It's not even the biggest. 
The United States is Africa's largest investor. It accounts for $54 billion of FDI stock. There are 600 American companies operating in South Africa alone. And this even after the U.S. president called Africa this. For the longest time, Africa was nothing but a war zone for Washington. It has over 7,000 troops deployed in the continent. They are spread across some 13 African countries, including Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic, Chad, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Libya, Mali, Mauritania, Niger, South Sudan, Somalia, and Tunisia. For the U.S., Africa was a continent for counter-terrorism operations. What happened then? Why is the U.S. suddenly interested in Africa? The answer is this. For the U.S., Africa is now a new front to take on China, and Washington is now fighting it out for power and influence. An article on the U.S. State Department website reads, and I quote, Africa is the continent of the future. Thus, we need to make the most of its potential. By 2050, its population will more than double to 2.2 billion people with over 60% under the age of 25. Where is Africa's interest in all of this? Also, what about India? What role does India play in this continent? New Delhi's ties with Africa date back to the time of Mahatma Gandhi. India was part of the Bandung project of 1955. New Delhi supported Africa's anti-colonial struggles. It supported the liberalization movements in Ghana, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. India also raised the issue of racism in South Africa. It will be unfair to say, though, that India's newfound interest in Africa has nothing to do with China. In 2018, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi toured key African states just ahead of Chinese President Xi Jinping's visit. In 2018, India decided to open 18 new embassies in Africa. India has defense partnerships with Zambia, Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Botswana, Uganda, Mozambique and Namibia. New Delhi is currently training African military. Indian company Airtel is a dominant telecom firm in Africa. New Delhi is offering 50,000 scholarships to African students. Despite everything, India is far behind China in the race for Africa. China's Belt and Road Initiative has sealed its hold on Africa. If in the 1900s Africa was colonized with force, in 2020 it is being trapped by loans. China accounts for 14% of sub-Saharan debt. In Kenya, the volume of Chinese loans is six times that of France, which is the country's second largest creditor. And Sri Lanka can tell you what happens when Chinese loans are not repaid. China is looking to capture Africa. It has a strong diaspora. It is spending big money. It is selling its movies, culture and currency. China extracts raw materials. It manufactures products with them and sells them back to this continent. Does this remind you of something? What did the British do in India? In the 19th century, the rivalry between Britain and France fueled Africa's colonization. In the 21st century, the trade war between the United States and China is hastening the same. Just like the 19th century, there are numerous countries in the scramble for Africa. And just like the 19th century, there is nothing in it for Africa. Gravitas Plus, co-presented. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs. Political job. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. 
He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he's sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. The clip, as you just heard, does not necessarily reflect the ideals and the understanding and the interests of this radio program nor in its members. But it is to be used as a tool to give you information to try to convey the importance of Africa and how it is the center of the world which is our theme today. So at this point in time, we're bringing our political panelists and analysts, and of course, you can join us by dialing 323-679-0841. Hit one, and we will share. We will ask for our numbers, and you can speak to that particular particular issue or topic that is on the table. Brother Haki, Africa is the center of the world. When we talk about the word center, it takes on many meanings. In this case, one of the things that to my mind is the word nucleus, all things evolve around Africa. Listening to the clippings, talking about that thing, when we think about Africa as being the center of the world, what, do, what comes to your mind in terms of this question of why it's important to understand that Africa in the position of being in the center, and what that means to the rest of the world. Why the rest of the world now is looking at Africa as possibly their survival? Your response, Brother Haki. Yeah, well, you know, when I, when I think about Africa being the center of the world, uh, you, know, you, know, we, you know, just, um, you know, anthropologically speaking, you know, when you think about Africa being the center of the world, you think about the origin of human beings, and that, and, and when you think about that, that, that move out of Africa to center to different parts of the world, and so Africa plays a very strategic role in terms of, in terms of, you know, this whole concept of, you know, what constitutes humanity. So in that context, it's good that increasingly people begin to recognize the oneness of humanity and understanding that the humanity out of Africa, uh. uh Dispel this notion, in fact, that in fact, somehow we're different based upon superficial uh, qualities like the color of your skin and the, the texture of your hair and so forth and so on. But I think more importantly, though, I think when you think about Africa being the center of, of, of the world, I think one thing that's important that when you look at terms of the, 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 the investments of the resources that Africa has, uh, you, you, think, you understand that, you know, to be centrally located and to have access to all of these, these resources, uh, all these minerals, it puts Africa in a strategic position to actually, you know, uh, create a world in which, uh, you know, um, all those things that we desire in terms of a better world, a more peaceful world, uh, a much more resilient world, it makes it possible to achieve all those things simply because of virtue in terms of having resources. The only problem is that the question becomes, you know, uh, at what point will Africa control its own resources? And, of course, that is a struggle that we, 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 we historically have been engaged in and currently engaged in in terms of the control of those resources. 
But mere fact that Africa is the center of the center of the world, uh, I think it, it does speak values. I think sim- symbolically speaking, I think you know when you think about something being in the center, a south and chest being in, being a nucleus. I think you're absolutely correct, brother Africa. I think that things uh, things evolve around it. And one of the things that, despite the kind of problems, uh, despite the oppression that the African continent Africa uh, had to contend with. The bottom line, the influences of Africa throughout the world are, are gigantic. I'm not just talking about in terms of music. I'm not just talking about music, culture, uh, that kind of thing. I'm talking about just in terms of uh, the kind of values that Africa brings to the world. Uh, it's you know, it's kind of uh, the kind of spirituality, uh, the kind of respect for education, those kind of things that are key in terms of humanity's survival. So I think Africa brings to the world it is really not unique perspective, but very much a human perspective in terms of the importance of those things, you know, I enumerated. So I think in that context, you know, when we think about Africa being the center of the world, you know, that's there's no question about it, you know, and it's the central world for many, many reasons. And one thing is very, very sure, uh, the, the level of knowledge uh, that is growing around the world in terms of Africa's not only historical contributions, but African contributions to the future are well established, and I'm happy to hear that. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Sister Eleanor, you know, recently, I believe in December the 13th of 2022, there was an executive order on establishing the Presidential Advisor Council on African diaspora engagement in the United States. They made sure they extended and created this particular department under the State Department all for the interest of being able to develop, control, and manipulate Africa and its people. What did you take from this particular document in terms of how it qualified the reality that, again, it put Africa in the center of the major thrust of the U.S. interests and Western world interests? Just in general, what are some of the things you took from that document that support how important Africa is, not only to African and African people, but to the whole world? Just your general response, Sister Eleanor. I think that uh, the importance was demonstrated in in how uh, everything was laid out, in particular when they talked about uh, how we had along in Africa in the past, whether or not we would be able to do that currently. It said that uh, uh, countries have been successful in Africa because they limited themselves to working within the existing structures. Uh, This was Prince Michael who wrote this. He said they do not criticize the countries on governance uh, political system, cultural habits, and traditions, the gender issues, birth control, or equality. Well, I see that as I'm going to have to change uh, and that in effect by ignoring the uh, the dynamic under which uh, these corporations operate, that will clearly have to change, I think, in the new Africa due to the the, the fact that the, the populace is young 
and they are struggling for equality. Um, the article also talked about uh, the renewing of the um, the act that I mentioned earlier that will expire in 2025 concerning uh, um, trade in Africa and how that's going to be done. And, and it's also going to require... Uh, that the United States changes habits because as uh, President Biden spoke at his African summit, he wanted to remind the people on the last day of the summit that the United States had provided 231 million uh, uh, coronavirus uh, doses to the continent And he said that the United States is all in on Africa in the future, that that, that's not being all in on Africa on the future, that we need to look at more having partnerships um, rather than uh, this aid, quote, financial aid that we've been giving and rethink the African Growth and Opportunity Act which is due to expire in 2025. Uh, those are things that I took from uh, uh, the article, and uh, I look forward to hearing the comments of the other panelists. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, in response, you would like to make as relates to that document that Joe Biden signed on the 13th of December. 2022 as relates to the executive order of establishing the President Advisory Council on African Diaspora Engagement in the United States. Your response to that document and why is it it placed great detail, Africa? Brother Moses. Yes, we're in a struggle against racism, inequality, and inequity. And um, certainly, you know, Joe Biden uh, seems to be um, trying to uh, um, engage in that struggle and to to his, his knowledge with them as being a capitalist and, uh, and refusing to go against the capitalist system. And so... We're in a dilemma there. It's, uh, you know, racism is capitalism and racism go hand in hand. And so, you know, we, the Africa, must unite together as Africans and uh, and and plot its own agenda and uh, demand truth and and uh, and uh, equity out of the superpower. The USA, and um, so you know this. This is the struggle. Uh, Biden has his agenda, but Africa must have its own agenda. Thank you. That's a key point, brother Moses. You're right. Africa, African people must have their own agenda, which means they must have they must have their own independent political party as well. 
But Hockey, in terms of that executive order, uh, one of the things I think someone would uh, come to a conclusion when they thoroughly look at it, it seems to be another strategy or sophistication of neocolonialism. They said they are going after all of the Africans, no matter what discipline you have, what field you're in, but they're going after different kind of Africans who have different influences in different spheres. Was your intellectuals, was your athlete, was your painter, they're going to put you in a committee to make sure that they can use you and your influence to undermine the interests of your Africa. This seems like an executive order of creating and continuing a neocolonialism where African people are up front doing the bidding for their oppressor. Your response, Brother Haki, your response to this. Yeah, well, it's a it's a it's an ancient strategy. Uh, you know, my biggest concern is that there gonna be those on the continent who actually fall for that strategy. They gonna see it as being somehow in, inclusive, or they're seeing as as being you know anti-colonial. And uh, in reality, is that it's, it what, they, what they're doing has nothing in terms in terms of you know uh, being in the best interest of Africa. It's all about giving the illusion of being concerned about Africa without actually being give a damn about Africa. So when you constitute, uh, when you create policies like that, essentially constitute a brain drain, and you think more, you take more established individuals, uh, the more uh, uh, individuals, you know, with the highest level of expertise or, or whatever, and you take these individuals, you know, from the continent and you use them, you know, in the West, uh, it's not going to be to the benefit of Africa. That is the fundamental problem. So I certainly hope at this point in the ball game that Africans, those Africans that they embraced in terms of, you know, uh, bringing to the West that they would understand that you know, uh, you know, uh, you know. Sometimes you know we have to understand you know that uh, you know all strategy isn't good strategy, and so therefore when they do that, we have to understand there's some interior motive connected with what they're doing and why they're doing it. Uh, you know, so uh, so you know I, I think that on the, on the flip side also I think I have to add out, add is that I think one of the things is that you know um, to to the extent that that African leaders create conditions. In which so many feel compelled to leave Africa, I think it's also an issue that has to be addressed. So I think at some point, Africans have to assure their populations, you know, that there's a place for them on the continent, and that their their you know their visibility, uh, their contributions to the continent, are needed right on the continent. Uh, but that, of course, is going to depend on on the, the African leadership. And of course, I realize, when to the extent that corruption exists on the African continent, uh, there are African leaders who would very much love for the more um the more um inventive the more uh, uh the more established uh the more uh academically defined individuals to leave the continent because they see them as a threat and so they probably wouldn't have no problem in terms of if they have to actually left so that is something uh part and parcel the uh, African leadership has to address in terms of understanding the 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 uh potential threat in terms of you know depopulation uh you know of of africa uh, when you start talking about big, taking your most astute people and, and, and bringing them to the West in terms of, you know, joining, you know, these, these, these organizations in the West. So we'll, we'll stay tuned and we'll see what happens, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Aladon, your response to that was an interesting document. We'd like to let our listening audience um, take some time and try to research and look at this document. It talks about the message to Congress on the continuation of the national emergency with respect to serious human rights abuse and corruption. 
they talk about the National Emergency Act, how they are extending it, and won't that continue to be in play, but it all centered around human rights, how human rights will play an important role. A U.S. poses its will on countries who they perceive that are not allowing human rights to take place. And I thought that would be interesting because historically and continually, it continues today that U.S. government is the, bigger, is the biggest abuser of human rights than any other country around the world. But it's a question of how you take a document and use it as a tool to flip the script and to intervene in other people's affairs is something that um, must be overcome. Your response to this document as well, Sister Eleanor. Well, um, thank you, Brother Africa. Executive Order 13818 was originally passed on December 20, 2017, and is to continue its effort beyond December 2022 because of President Biden's um, uh, taking action to extend the act. And it's interesting, 2017, Donald Trump was the president. And I find this ridiculous after the statements he made about numerous countries, in particular African countries. But the reason for the president's extension of this act, as you said, is because of the alleged prevalence and severity of human rights abuses and corruption that have had their source in a whole or in substantial part, it says, outside of the United States and continues to threaten the stability of international political and economic systems. Now, human rights abuses and corruptions undermine the values that form, and I'm quoting from, uh, this is what the access is in, human rights abuses and corruptions undermine the values that form an essential foundation of stable, secure, and functioning societies. I have devastating impact on individuals, weakened democratic institutions, and degrade the rule of law, perpetuate violent conflict, uh, facilitate the activities of dangerous persons, and undermine economic markets and continue to pose an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, economy of the United States. Now, this is why I would suggest that uh, with the upcoming renewal of the, uh, the Economic Act that has op- really, um, removed tariffs on trade with Africa to the United States that all 54 African countries sit down and develop real policy on how they will interact with uh, foreign governments outside of Africa because 
uh, I'm not clear on whom or, uh, President Biden is referring for. And he concludes this letter or this with, therefore, I have determined that it is necessary to continue the National Emergency uh, Declared in Executive Order 13818 with respect to severe human rights abuses abuses and corruption. And uh, who is it that... uh, uh, is is causing these human right abuses? Are he is he talking about uh, the lack of uh, 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 democracy in 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 the United States, or is he talking about the lack of democracy in in Nigeria? Certainly, with thirty nine states having passed voter suppression laws, we're no model. For the world, or after the January 6th coup d'etat in the capital of the United States, we certainly can't talk about democracy. And uh, with the level of uh, uh, low wages and poverty in the United States, uh, it's difficult for us to talk about others uh, and their economies. Um, find it hard to believe the 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 poverty that exists in the United States uh, today. I think it's uh, far worse than it was in the eighties or 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 nineties, uh, and so uh, I I I'm not sure. Now, I understand why Donald Trump might have signed this emergency in December 20 of 2017, but why Biden did, uh, I'm I'm not sure. And and, uh, the human rights abuses and corruptions undermine the values that form uh, an essential foundation of stable, secure, and a functional society. Uh, have a devastating impact on individuals, weaken democratic institutions, and degrade the rule of law. I don't know how this can be perpetuated when we see the expansion of NATO right now, which I think is a threat to peace in the world as well as in Europe. When we see that the United States has tried to get a providence of Russia become an independent nation and we are fostering it now when the people of the Dumbach region have been called by uh, Zelensky uh, the uh, the greatest terrorist of the world uh, I don't I don't understand this and 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 whom we're talking to when we see that uh, Saudi Arabia continues to attack Yemeni and kill, you know, has killed over a half a million Yemens. So I, I'm really not clear on this. So perhaps one of the other analysts can better explain Executive Order 13818 than myself. Perhaps one of uh, 
our listening audience might be able to explain it. And to before me. we do that, Sister Eleanor and our panelists, we're gonna ask everyone to um we're gonna take a quick station break. We'll come back um to that question and we also would like to direct your attention to an article titled Three Reasons to Pay Attention to the White House Summit with the African Leaders. This is Africa on Woo. We're discussing Africa at the center of the world. We'll be right back. This guitar player who fall in love with what's in America. You fall in love with the wrong girl. Cause Baracho Muchacho has his eye on that muchacha. And he wanted to turn her into a bad girl, man. Oh, Baracho and his boys, they find the guitar player. They hold him down. They cut off his hands. Guitar player will never play guitar again. Wycliffe G, front center. You bailed out. That was then. This is now. Welcome to the carnival. The arrival. Come on, Johnny Harlow. Boogie down, folks. Manhattan. Back to Saturday. Hey, yo, I'm standing at the bar with a.
Bulls in Spanish Harlem. Mama see the beg your pardon. Made steaks at a faster rate than she pointed. Good traits is genius. Got us for black Venus. Brad, angry because they can't get between us. So don't select beyond. Smooth complex beyond the lexicon of Lexington. Parents came from Cuba. Caught Mexican. Pure sweet. Don fell to her feet. She like Movado and shook her hips like Delgado and broke down from the ground to Apollo and then some. She took her accent into dim sum and waited patiently while the businessmen come. All laid on purpose. Got even politicians nervous and made plans to infiltrate the street secret service. This gentle flower fertility was the power. Sweet persona. Venus fly trap prima donna. Case said I can't sit out. She turned the narrow to the narrow. But I don't remember when And every time we get to where we're entering I feel my beliefs and hope surrendering But I know I'll be coming home soon Yes, I know I'll be coming home soon Like the enemies that we are battling I am nothing but a human alien Left with nothing else but to keep wandering Down this path while stopping my hands trembling Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know that I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes I've seen inside the devil's dreams Where young men die And graveyards open up their arms For mothers left to cry I have seen the bleeding and I hear what we've done But just like every other fool here I'll keep marching on Because I know That I'll be coming home soon And yes I know That I'll be coming home soon With a soldier's eye with a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes 
We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Yes, we are looking at things with a soldier eye. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. We will continue our discussion as relates to the theme today. Africa is the center of the world. Before we left on break, I think since Illinois, you had a question raising with the panelists. We would like to we would like to let any of them address it, and then we would like to hear each one of y'all feedback on the article. Three reasons to pay attention to the White House summit with African leaders, as it reinforces the theme tonight on Africa being the center of the world. Sister Eleanor, you were stating earlier. Well, uh, I uh, was stating earlier that when you first read uh, President Biden's executive order, it seems unclear why. But then when you realize that most of the growth uh, that's that's going on uh, after 2030 will be outside of the United States. You see why it's so important to maintain control over Africa. Also, when you realize that uh, right now um, African people aren't looking for uh, the kind of uh, uh, investment we had made in Africa previously because it really wasn't an investment, it was aid. Um, and the fact that uh, the last time any African leaders had been invited to the White House was 2014 when Obama was president. So you you really can see why this act passed, but it's only it it, it it's due to expire again in the next five years. So um, it's it's the need for raw ore, such as uh, cobalt, copper, uranium, magnesium, and and many more minerals that uh, it's important that this act pass. Whether or not it's the answer to the problem, I, I, I don't, I am not sure. And, uh, of course, the other reason is China and and, and Russia and their investments already in in Af- China in Africa's infrastructure and Russia with its uh, political support and weapons. Um, uh, it it uh, uh, allegedly um, provides some African uh, leaders. So, okay. So, so Lord, let's um, make, a, make a little quick transition. We're running to the end of time, as they would say, by the high key. And we ask each one of our panelists tonight, maybe two minutes or so, to speak to uh, points of interest that came from the article, Three Reasons to Attention to the White House Summit. With African leaders, and we doing this because again, it comes to show it comes to show comes to show how important Africa is not only to the world, but definitely must be our foundation for our future and our survival as African people. So, Brother Haki, 
I will just let you speak for a few minutes on this particular article, which we'd like to share with the listening audience as we close out this program on Africa is the center of the world. Brother Hakeem. Yeah, well, I, I, I think that document pretty much espouses the motivation uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned in terms of its relationship with Africa. No other document does it allude to the fact that uh, there'll be a, a reform of institutions, those international institutions uh, of finance uh, that govern uh, the uh, colonial relationship between America and the United States, I mean, between Africa and the United States. Uh, I think when they talk about, you know, maintaining the economic ties so you know or promoting economic interest the interest they come up promoting is not the interest of africa they're talking about the, the, the interests of western imperialists and that's precisely what they're talking about so biden had no other recourse but to go along with that program and that's his i mean that's his that's his that's his role i mean he wasn't going to uh you know he was already instructed you know to go along with that agreement because you know he understood that in terms of you know capitalist interests uh africa is key and not only we talk about in terms of in terms of resources because Africa is such a young continent, uh, one you know the, the bottom line is that you know with that youth comes um, uh, some kind of defiance. So young people are much more uh, more likely to take a stand on issues as opposed to older people. Uh, they're much more exuberant in terms of expressing their their interest. And in that context, uh, we can anticipate in the future Africa is not going to be the same uh, Africa it is currently it currently exists. Those young people can be making much more demands on the West in terms of this, in terms of relationships. Uh, the expectations are going to be certainly different in terms of the, you know, in terms of the relationship with the West. So I think in that regard, I think the U.S. understands the writings on the wall, and so therefore, you know, they're just trying to the extent that they can, you know, try to maintain, you know, some level of relationship with Africa, even though in the, in the sense that the relationship that we're talking about is not reciprocal. It is, it is a relationship in which they're going to continue to try in terms of influence in Africa for the benefit of the West, in particular the United States. Uh, you know, but I think uh, by and large, you know, they're going to fail in their endeavor. But I think that document pretty much underscores the continuation of the colonial policy. And I'm not close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Aki. Brother Moses, two minutes or less. Your thoughts on Article Three reasons to pay attention to the White House summit. With African leaders, your your response, Brother Moses. Are you there with us, Brother Moses? Can you hear me? Okay, thank you very Sorry much. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. It's getting later. Sorry, um, I just had a long day today. Uh, Any comments you'd like to make, final thoughts, Brother Moses, on today's program? Well, it's been an interesting show. Um, um, we need to raise we the the Cuban Solidarity Committee is uh, committed to raising consciousness about the political struggle, about the solution to our problems, about Cuba as an example, and we need to 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 have meetings and raise consciousness about about that uh, in order to further the struggle within the United States for socialism, scientific socialism. And so, you know, I, I, we, we, in order to accomplish our task, we need money, we need income, we need, we need uh, uh, resources to, to be organized around and, and, and uh, 
and uh and carry out our propaganda and agitation uh um so you know we in individually we don't have a lot but collectively we we are we are a phenomenal force and we must unite unite around a, a uh, positive program of action and so I'll just leave it right there thank you thank you brother Moses so that know two minutes or less just give us your final thoughts for the night program Africa is the center of the world sister Eleanor yes in fact the continent is experiencing unexpected economic growth um, even if income inequality remains a persistent problem. In addition to that, in terms of the environment, uh, the nation of Gabon after the Amazon is uh, helping reduce carbon. And if we are going to um, cause the world to um, uh wean itself off the carbon after way that we'll be able to do that with its resources and already some of the practices that are being practiced in Africa with solar as well as wind uh, uh, um, use, utilizing these energy forces to produce uh, electricity to run computers, telephones and other things. So we see Africa on the move. Therefore, the United States really has to um, work with the African people in order to uh, uh, to uh, continue its own survival because the Western economies will not be where you'll see real growth after 1930. I mean, I mean, after 2030, excuse me. Thank you so much, Brother Africa, for another very interesting and exciting show. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And have Brother a safe trip in Cuba. And you do the same. Thank you, my sister. Brother Haki, we'll give you the last minute to say your final thoughts when we close out this program. Africa is the center of the world. Brother Haki. I think one of the things I just want to real quickly dispel this notion in terms of, you know, sometimes when we when we talk about the importance of Africa on the world stage, people tend to interpret it as some kind of culturalism. You know, they tend to interpret it as some kind of uh, rejecting question around class, and that's not what that's not what's happening. Uh, we very much understand the role class plays in terms of endeavors of nations throughout the world, and so no one is blind to that reality. But when we talk about in terms of Africa on the world stage and why the significance of Africa on the world stage, we can't negate the hundreds of thousands of years of history that preceded the, the evolution of capitalism. In that context, Africa has a, an example to give to the world in terms of an example you know, a society organized around something other than you know, greed, victorial, and hate. Uh, so in that context, so we, 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 in terms, just in terms of the historical relevance, uh, we see Africa playing a pivotal role in terms of providing a new paradigm for the world, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean simply because that history exists in Africa, that African leaders in the future are not going to fall back on say some maybe um, uh, some, maybe some, some some reactionary positions in terms of 
know, emulating, you know, what we currently see in the West. It doesn't mean that that potential doesn't exist. We understand that potential doesn't exist, but like always, the struggle continues in terms of the fight for that which is positive against that which is negative. And so that context, when we look at the history in terms of Africa as a continent, then with all the numerous examples to push in terms of the kind of, the kind of paradigm we'd like to see in the world, uh, Africa offers a, a best possibility in terms of bringing that kind of paradigm into existence. It doesn't negate the question in terms of class. We understand, cla- we understand class. And, and I think one other thing, too, I think it's important we acknowledge, you know, when Marx talked about Africa's contribution to the struggle, he understood classes, races very much an issue in terms of, in terms of you know, in terms, in terms of the fight. Uh, so, to, so for those people who position is that anytime you talk about, you know, Africa, that you're negating the class, the class question, or somehow you're, 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 you're raising Africa, you know, to, to the cultural perspective, which means that uh, when you raise the cultural perspective, it has no relevance in terms of real struggle. Something that we, you know, something that, you know, people like me categorically reject because we're not, we're not negating class. We're not negating it at all. We're simply saying the reality is, and, and, and one of the reasons when we talk about Africa effectively being written out of history, one of the downsides of being written out of history is that the history that's available, most people who are in the political world are not even aware of that history. And so when you start talking about Africa in terms of, the, terms of creating a, a, a different paradigm, they think that you're, that you're very, very, very idealistic or you're somehow that you're, what you're advocating you know, is anti-scientific, and that's, that's far from the truth. It's very, very scientific, and it's based upon the history. You can't get more 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 scientific than the history, and so 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 I think it's important we we, we recognize you know when we talk about the, the importance of Africa in the world stage, it's not because we excluding you know uh, uh, move, movements throughout the world. It's not we're saying that they're not connected because they're all connected, but we're saying that Africa plays a pivotal place to play when you talk about in terms of you know Western intervention on the continent of Africa. And you talk about the historical wrongs committed against Africa, and you talk about the, 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 the level of, of, of persecution Africa has c- contended with for many, many centuries. Then clearly, you know, Africa has. It seems to me that Africa has a. You know, Africa should be supported across the board throughout the world in terms of this fight for justice, because it's in, in fact, if we're going to talk about fundamental justice that inflict the world, we can't do so without first addressing most the most. Uh, and the most the most horrendous kind of oppression that African people have continued had to endure for centuries. So we can't talk about political analysis, talk about moving forward politically without acknowledging that historically, when you look in terms of the the, the oppression, the the modulation of the African continent, is unprecedented. When we talk about injustice that exists throughout world in world history, we acknowledge that it existed. But when you talk about concerted effort, when you talk about you talk about states collectively work together to ensure the oppression of another of another continent. Uh, that is a different ball game, and so we recognize that. So for those people who say we're we're liquidating the class question, no, we're not liquidating the class question. Class question, we understand class, but that's but that's not the issue. The issue is the paradigm, the potential paradigm shift that Africa offers the world by virtue of its history, and that's what we're saying. So that has to be incorporated in terms of you know moving forward. We, we, you can try to move forward without incorporating that history in terms of Africa, and I don't see how you're going to be successful in doing that. Because number one, the most egregious situation uh, that human beings ever know is happening right there in Africa. If we can acknowledge that, then how the hell can we move forward in terms of trying to present, trying to bring about a new, new paradigm? And, that, and let me say this in closing, Brother Africa. I think one thing about Cuba, 
you know, there's, there's, there's much discussion around Cuba and the, the Cuban leadership, and they had to continue with this question. Whereas we're trying to create a class society in which people only deal with class, Cuba has come to Cuba ultimately came to the realization that the question of race has to be dealt with. In that context, they understand you know that race and class almost come indivisible when you look at the history of Cuba, and so therefore it'd be foolish to just negate negate the question of race if people who are in fact have been indoctrinated to see race are, are still around to perpetuate race. And so, therefore, that the question has to be dealt with head on, in which why racism is wrong, why is backwards, why is why is unscientific. But that discussion has to take place. But you can't do that in the absence of having any discussion around race. And brother Africa, having said that, you have a good night. And the same to you, brother Haki, to all our panelists, to all our supporters, our listeners. Um, join us every Sunday evening from 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. As we talk about issues and concerns that not only has the impact on you, the individual, but the society as a whole, the world as a whole, we understand that information must be used as a tool for liberation. We also understand without information, you cannot think. And we also understand while organization, you cannot think clearly. We seek to bring those positive elements in your lives so you can be a better person and more productive person and you can make your proper contribution to advancing humanity. Until next time, from Africa is the center of the world on the 15th day of January, 2023, we would like to remind you, don't forget, two days from now, January 17, we'll be hosting a very live, important program. We want you to come in and join us. The program is by the Pan-African Roots and the All-African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. They invite you to join us at and build God makes no slaves in the womb tool. The trafficking, trading, in and enslavement of human beings was and is illegal. A crime against humanity we demand the disclosure and digitization of all slavery era records. Come and join that program this Tuesday night, 7 p.m. by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Go to Blog Talk Radio, uh, type in Africa on the Moon, or go to the AAPRPGC website, which is www.a-aprp.gc.org. So until next time, Let's always remember to subscribe to go forward, Apple, back to Neville. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Moon, which is a community development program uh, project of the African Awareness Association. We'll see you next week. Be there, or as they say, what? Don't be a square. Africa is on the move. We thank you for joining us.
If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine. Palestine, needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs, our love. needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Her freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our love. in chains, living in pain. Today is the and nothing ever changes Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth Filled with abuse and everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong Journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must. Escape. 
decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Pellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries and see the blood in the red clay, the clay that holds stones together is African, and each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out from the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. Light is clear. Oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, Emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Sheba. He is the King of Kings, the Lion of Judah. The name Hyla Sablazi means power of the Trinity. Educate yourself of Africa. Liberate yourself, Africa. Keep your heads up high, no more will we cry. Yeah. Our history that they stole, Africa, is written in our souls, Africa. Oldest nation on this earth, know just what you were. I'm on trial with the man, she my co-defendant And I demand her attention, can you focus woman? I'm getting closer to the sky every time I hit it Holly Selassie, power of the trinity Soul made in Niger, my vice made in Italy White man's world that I'm living in some state But it was Africa, the continent we all came from Can't nothing come between me and you So before I have seeds, gotta understand my roots Gotta understand the truth, we is all kings round here Life's not all fair, work till we fall dead All going hard till I earn like a pauper Although my body's in the U.S., my heart's there. I can never be ashamed of her. I got my features and my name from her. Mama, Africa. The richest place on earth. Know just what you're worth.